0: Hey everyone, this is Stefan Miller and welcome to The Forever Student. I'd like to welcome you all back to the show. I'm so grateful you've decided to spend some time with us to become the best version of yourself. One way to do that is being aware of ways to become or stay as healthy as possible in all aspects of your life. And today we have a guest that will help us understand how to do that. He's a functional medicine practitioner, a health and wellness advocate, a family medicine consultant, and he's the medical director at DNA Health Center here in Dubai. And I'm lucky to call him a friend as well. Dr. Nas, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Stefan, absolute pleasure to be back. It's, uh, as we were saying before off off air, it's a, it's a rerun. Unfortunately, we, we, we tried to do something like this, uh, was it a few months ago, it was pre-COVID, uh, but we've got all sorts of backups now, haven't we? So. Hopefully it'll be uh, going out to you guys.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, I think, you know, I'm I'm happy that you're here now uh, simply because there's been, you know, we've we faced such a tough time this year. Everyone has. And I think there's going to be a lot of different topics that we can cover that will really help others and listeners navigate through these tough times. And I think we should start with you. Um, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the field of healthcare and well-being.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I, I answer that differently now. I'm a, I'm a father because I always used to start off by talking about my career. But no, I guess first and foremost, I'm a husband and a father to twins, and I've got a third child on the way in January during very interesting times for us all. Uh, but yeah, no, I guess, you know, professionally, Uh, I'm, you know, from the UK originally, uh, allopathic trained as a a physician and uh, studied to become a consultant family physician. And, you know, it was probably very early on into my career that I realized that, you know, there was a better way of doing things. Um, You know, there were were issues with the system and, you know, we we could save that for, for another day. But... One of the main things that I, I recognized was that a lot of my patients just weren't getting any better. And, um, you know, we had 10 minutes a clients and it was a case of just adjusting medications and getting them out of the room. And invariably, they would come back a number of months later and you'd make some more adjustments to the medications, which usually would be adding or increasing a dosage. And uh, I I think just naturally, because of the lifestyle I was leading, I was always into sort of health and eating well, uh, training, even though I probably didn't know that much about it scientifically, because it just didn't really form part of our training or education. I still kind of was fiddling around and seeing kind of what worked for me. And that kind of naturally influenced my practice and what I was doing for patients, because ultimately. You know, I wanted to provide them with a lifestyle that I was trying to lead as well. Uh, and I guess the hurdle for me in the UK is that it's it's very much a, a public system that's um, you, know, you know regimented and, and 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 I use the term shackled by certain protocols which are uh, kind of glossed in this sort of evidence space that they like they like to use that that was very much pharmaceutical. Uh, Orientated. And, you know, when I actually just started to apply uh, little bits and tweaks of lifestyle changes, I I found that I was just getting a lot more out of my patients in terms of, you know, the the cost benefits. Uh, And, and, you know, forward a few years, I I migrated to the UAE uh, for a number of reasons, both professional and lifestyle. But it just seemed the perfect environment to be able to practice more. You, you called call me a you know a functional medicine doctor and you know some people use the term integrative medicine others use wellness you know it's 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 not a specialty per se it's more a, I guess a, an approach and a, a philosophy of the, that you're applying to sort of the way you deliver healthcare and yeah I mean again I've been here for five years now I'm I'm you know we've got a great sort of clinic in 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 Dubai we've just recently opened a second Uh, center and you know we're offering kind of a lifestyle service for lifestyle conditions I guess is a a great way of putting it and the the funny thing about COVID if there is any silver lining we found that people are starting to prioritize their health and wellness a lot more Uh, I think also at the same time because people are a bit more flexible with their work they are finding the time to come and come and attend because it it, it just really traditionally has been down the list of people's priorities um but but i'm I'm definitely seeing a shift in focus which which is great
0: yeah absolutely what do you think is wrong with our lifestyle today and and let's maybe talk about pre-covid before we start talking about um what's been going on this year you know i i think it's the whole environment you 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 The
1: the focus tends to be on nutrition and uh, exercise and has been for the last probably 40, 50 years. Um, You know, there's a huge uh, commercial industry behind them both. Um, I, I think, you know, what I'm seeing though, and certainly in my anecdotal experience and experience of colleagues, is that, you know, there's definitely a surge in issues around stress, and sleep disruption um, and, and and I'm definitely of the belief now that unless you control your stress or mitigate stress and you've sorted your sleep out, you can have the best nutrition and you know exercise regime in the world and you're not going to see the results. whereas I, I, I you know I, I, I think conversely if you, are in control of your stress or stress resilient, and you have optimized sleep, you have far more leeway uh, with your nutrition
0: and, and, and lack of exercise. What do you think, so, so firstly, I would like to take a step back and, and define stress. And then based on that definition, what it does to you and to your body
1: well i think you know the the the, the stress re- response i guess you, you would call it is you know the the body body's reaction to a perceived uh, stress or th- threat you would call it and there are a number of kind of physiological changes both um mentally and, and physically that the, the prepare you to deal with that stress and typically people will use the terminology fight or flight now you know it's it's a beautiful system that has clearly led to our survival uh, to this day as it has with you know every other species on this planet the fundamental difference uh, now is that we are chronically in this activated stress response and whilst This system um, has great benefits in an acute scenario. Over the long term, it's extremely detrimental to both physical and, and mental stress.
0: What is it like? What are what are sort of the main stressors that that you see? Uh, with clients on a day-to-day basis?
1: Well, I think, you know, the important thing to say as well that that differentiates us from any other species is, I guess, our cerebral cortex. So, you know, we create things to stress about that no other species does because they just don't have the capability. So, again, I, I think that's kind of at the root cause of why people are suffering with chronic stress because we weren't designed to worry about you know, financial issues, our job, uh, COVID, whatever it may be going on in your external environment, the only thing that stressed us was uh, food deprivation, uh, cold, excessive heat, you know, really sort of basic environmental influences uh, that, that, that pushed us Uh, to to try and improve resilience and and led to sort of survival. Now, the issue now is that obviously, um, you know, it's gone far beyond that. And, you know, the way clients are presenting to me is with a variety of different symptoms and and, and signs. And and the issue being for them is that it's not very well uh, acknowledged or, or recognized, and I think it's both a society issue, the individual patient or client, and also the, the practitioners. Because whilst we all know that stress is bad for us, I mean, there's no one on this planet who probably would disagree with that. I don't think people A, prioritize it or B, really acknowledge or understand the extent that it affects health. I think also, People don't believe that it's something that can be quantified when when it, when it can be. And then also, I think thirdly, um, it's a little bit more difficult a thing to deal with. I mean, you know, take nutrition, for example. You know, on paper, it's a case of, well, you know, switch that macronutrient, eat a little bit more of that, whatever it may be. People can understand it a lot better. But you know, when it comes to talking about mitigating stress and implementing stress sort of technique, it's a just more of a foreign concept. I think, you know, it's great that we're obviously now in a time where we're sat talking about it, this it would, you know, probably would not have happened 10, certainly 15 years ago. So it is becoming more mainstream, but I still think it's not as much of a priority as it as it should be for, for for people
0: and you as a practitioner are there any ways for you to pick up on how stressed a person is without them talking about it yeah i mean
1: you know there's a couple of d- different things there so you know again just from anecdotally having a, a, a caseload of, of of people you you often can gauge it from the the history and and, and the story now That's not always true. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who will downplay stress and it won't obviously, you know, come across that easily, both kind of verbally or even kind of physically. I think in terms of, you know, if you if you're looking at it more analytically and looking at figures, you know, we don't have the perfect testing to really look at, you know, what's called your adrenals and you know, your adrenal glands are essentially what produce your your stress hormone. Uh, we have kind of proxies and and we we can look at levels of adrenal hormones and often, you know, you will see positive signs of, you know, what we would call adrenal excess, which would correlate with, you know, a history of excessive stress. Um, But, but, but really you're kind of, I tend to use that more for behavior change in the, in the client. So, you know, it's, it's all well and good. Me sat opposite you saying, listen, you're stressed. Go away and do this. The likelihood is, for the most part, a lot of people aren't going to deal with it. You know, they're going to turn around and say, "Well, you know, sort my nutrition." out. I, you know, I'd rather do that. Or, you know, just tell me what type of training to do. But actually, if I show something, someone something a bit more tangible that shows, you know, a little bit of adrenal dysfunction excess, whatever you may may want to call it they're far more likely to uh, action a a behavior change. So that's, I think, for me, where the value comes from.
0: And what kind of things do you recommend or suggest for people to do or your clients to do when they're facing stress or excessive stress on a long-term basis?
1: Well, I I think for me, you can broadly categorize it into into two. So one is removing the stressor. Um, and again, whether that be a, 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 a psychological or mental stress or, or whether it's physical stress or because again, I, I think people automatically assume that when you're talking about stress you're talking about mental stress whereas you know for example, let's take sleep. It's probably one of the most uh, physically sort of impactful, uh, or or depri- sleep deprivation is one of the most physically sort of d- detrimental things that you can do to your, to your body and will have significant impact on your adrenals and your stress hormones and your stress response so so trying to remove the stressor is the main thing, and then the other is kind of how you react to stress or you know, what another way of putting it is improving stress resilience and you know that that really just depends on the cause. i mean a lot of people. Let's just take mental stress. We'll talk about kind of mindfulness as a term that gets used, and you know we've spoken about this before. And a lot of people in our community will talk about different techniques, whether it be breathing exercises, whether it be meditation. Uh, for some people, it could be yoga. It could be going for a walk. Um, it's it's whatever technique works for you, and in, more importantly, what is sustainable. Um, and I think it's about restoring balance. So we spoke about how you know, the stress response was just meant to be an acute response. Our default state was to be in what's called the parasympathetic state. Other people call it kind of rest and digest. If you look at any other animal, when they're stressed, they will return back to that state very quickly when the stressor is removed. As humans, we've lost that ability. So it's about implementing techniques which are going to help you kind of restore that situation.
0: And I think there are, we're talking about bad stresses now, but I think there's also, you know, good stress. And if I'm not mistaken, because I, I geek out with you a lot when I speak to you, it's called Hermesis. So what would you, like, what are uh, the, like, what are good stressors?
1: Well, so, so, you know, I think probably the obvious ones are, I mean, we're doing it or a lot of people are doing it every day. So for example, you know, training. You know, when exercise is a is a stressor, and again, when you use the term hormesis, I mean, this is essentially the body uh, re- responding to the stress uh, to a point where it's trying to make the body more resilient to prevent any detrimental outcome to being exposed to a further stress. So, you know, training is the obvious one. Uh, we've spoken a lot in the past about kind of fasting. Fasting is a, a stressor that kind of uh, will implement a, a hormetic response uh, where the body will uh, improve and become uh, more resilient for the most part if applied kind of a, appropriately. Um, yeah, I, I think that they're probably the two most obvious examples. I mean, there's a lot of now, um, you know, you'll hear people talking about cold therapy. And I know we've spoken before in the past. There's a lot of research behind cold adaptation and cold therapy in part Part and parcel, or one small piece of the jigsaw puzzle, as to why people are sick these days, uh, is that you know we live in centrally heated houses or you know air-conditioned environments when we were designed to be exposed to cold. And again, there were a number of hormetic responses to cold that made the body more uh, resilient that we're just not getting anymore.
0: So I just want to switch over to to this year or the last few months in COVID, and the reason I want to talk about it is because. Here in the UAE, I think I think it's been fantastically dealt with, and and we're now also free to move around. But you know, most of Europe has gone back into lockdown, and when it comes to dealing with stress or dealing with being in a closed environment for a long time, one, how have you dealt with it? So you know, this year when you were at home, um, what have you done on a daily basis to take care of your physical and mental health.
1: Yeah, good point. I mean, I, I, I suppose uh, I'm, well, I say I'm in one of the lucky kind of groups of people. It, it In terms of my work, um, I w- I'm, a, I'm in a client-facing kind of service. So uh, there was probably bar that two weeks where there was a complete sort of real sh- sort of shutdown. Um, I've pretty much been continuing my, my regular work. So I probably haven't been uh, impacted as much as, as some people and I'm well aware that there are still cohorts of people that are working from home and probably are going too well into to next year. Um, I, I think you know I've been asked this before and if I reflect back to the two weeks that I was in lockdown you know, it's interesting people have, I, I've seen them go two ways some actually found that they had more time to do things and actually you know start to exercise and actually had time to cook homemade food and you know didn't have the worry of emails and the phone going off constantly whereas some people suffered and just the complete loss of routine uh whether it also be kind of despair whatever you may want to call it or worry and anxiety about what's going on in the world and went the other way and you know Took also, you know, a turn to the worst with their uh, with their health. I, I think I'm probably in the former category. I mean, I guess I was probably leading a fairly healthy lifestyle anyway. I didn't feel that it was really impacted a huge amount. Again, I'm probably lucky because I have a gym at home. Um, you know, my, you know, we now live in a world where your your fridge can still be stocked with healthy food because of great food food delivery. So, I suppose. Mine didn't diverge that that much, um, but you know, again, I, I've heard a lot of people talking about this, and you know, ultimately, you just have to focus on what you can control, and you know, you shouldn't try and. and I don't know. This is easier said than done. You shouldn't try and kind of pin your happiness and well-being to what's going on in the external world, and and that's not to say that I don't want to trivialize what's going on, because again. You know, if, if your relative who's elderly has come down with COVID and they're on ITU and the prospect of you kind of losing your job um, and you've not seen kind of relatives for a long period of time, that is obviously going to impact on people. But I suppose it's about kind of trying to spin things as positively as possible and focus on what are the good things that are still in your life. And, you know, I, I guess there's people who've written books on uh, how they survived in prison for 15, 20 years, you know, and, 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 you know, often it's quoted, you know, don't become a, you know, a prisoner to your mind. I think that's effectively it. It's it's, it's about trying to control your own circumstances as much as, as possible.
0: Yeah. That's, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I, I was reading Viktor Frankl's book, A Man's Search for Meaning during lockdown, which, which has to do with his experience in, in, in World War II in the concentration camps. When you read books like that and how important the mind is uh, and your perspective on how you deal with current situations, no matter what sort of the external brings to you, but how you internally deal with uh, whatever life throws at you, nothing is really more important than that. Okay. Going back to you and and sort of your, your habits. Um, I'm, I'm very curious to know, and I'm sure the listeners are as well, what you do on a daily basis, things that you don't miss ever. Um, in order to contribute to your physical and mental well-being.
1: Yeah, you know, I, 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 I think for me, I probably say that that if I'm going to highlight a couple of things that are non-negotiable for me in my life, um, it comes back to sleep. So I would say that I spend far more of my time focusing on getting consistent, good-quality sleep. Before anything else in my lifestyle, that's before, you know, if we're looking at lifestyle, if we're uh, dividing lifestyle into kind of nutrition, movement, stress, and sleep, sleep 100% is my priority, because I feel coming back to what I was saying earlier on, if I'm well slept, I'm going to have the energy to train, Um, I'm not going to be as hungry. Um, uh, my mood is, is just going to be better. I'm going to embrace relationships. My stress resilience is, is, is going to be better. So that's my justification. Now, kind of, if you look at other aspects of my lifestyle, I'm sure we'll delve into this deeper, but you know, people always ask me, you know, what do I eat or what do I eliminate? Actually, they'll ask me, it's funny. Now the conversations has changed. What do you eliminate? You know, how do you eat? Um, uh, you know, I'm one of these people who actually, funnily enough, pretty much eats everything. Um, you know, I'm not one of these who lives so regimented that I would turn around to you and say I never eat sugar, I never eat processed foods. Um, you know, I never eat you know cooking oils, whatever it may be. Yeah, do do I moderate it? Yeah, of course, probably subconsciously, just because of you know how I've lived my life in 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 general, but. I tend to apply a lot more fasting techniques in my life, and again, I feel that the combination of good sleep quality and implementing periodic fasting, I think, allows me, gives me more flexibility to eat what I eat what I want, and you know, get away with probably training less than uh, you know the next person needs to. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm probably painting the impression that I'm trying to do as little as possible to be as healthy as possible. I suppose there is a little bit of that because, you know, I, I, like most people, I'm not I, I don't have the time as much, certainly not as much time as I used to. So it is about trying to be as uh, efficient as, as possible. And, I, and actually, I, I want to make, I want to drive that point home because you know, there's, we, we always talk about hacks and You know certain interventions and you know you see all sorts of things that people are doing now i mean ultimately you know if someone is is going to sit there and and lie on an energy table for an hour and a half for you know an incremental increase in their quality of life of one or two percent again i'm just coming up with an arbitrary figure then really is that something that is worth worth doing Well, I'd probably say not, and no one would probably argue with that. So, um, yeah, I guess I've become a lot more uh, time efficient in what I'm I'm doing.
0: So, there's a lot of follow-up questions there, because I think the three main things that I want to talk to you about are are sleep, movement, and nutrition. So, let's kick it off with we can kick it off with sleep, considering the importance of it and probably the severe lack that a lot of people are getting. You know, we here get a minimum of seven to eight hours. Um, anything past nine hours is not good. Anything below six is not good. Is there sort of an ideal amount of sleep? And if so, what's the reasoning behind that?
1: Yeah, I, I believe, and, and, and this may be give or take, the the range is somewhere between seven and a half and nine hours, um, you know, depending on the individual. Uh, and what's interesting is I, I think the the concept or the, the the logic behind why sleeping more than that is Considered detrimental to health is not a causal thing. I, I suspect it's observational. So, what I mean by that is that you know people who probably sleep longer are lazier. Uh, so it's probably more of a confounding variable. Again, I'm not 100% certain on the science, but uh, you know I wonder whether that is whether that is true. Uh, why why do we need that? Well, I guess. Uh, I want to kind of frame it a different way. I mean, if you think about kind of sleep in a, in a very abstract way, I mean, and let's just take, you know, we need to sleep for eight hours on, on average, you know, that's a third of our life. And it's a very bizarre concept because if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, you know, you can't procreate whilst you're asleep. You can't forage for food and you can't defend yourself. So, why is it that Mother Nature, over millions of years, has preserved this concept, uh, where, which has been preserved across species as well? Well, the answer to that is it's the it's the price that we pay uh, for being awake, and it it just fundamentally shows you. And you know, there's all sorts of bodies of research now that have you know correlated sleep with every single health issue and premature mortality. Um just shows you how fundamental it is to to living our lives. How do we go about improving
0: sleep? Because I am a big believer in uh, routine. So having, you know, just in terms of the circadian rhythm, I believe in distancing ourselves from our screens and from technology a few hours before we go to sleep. I believe in setting the temperature right and um, uh, in our room and, and sleeping in darkness. Are there any other things that you recommend that are, you know, easy sort of things to implement for, for someone who's listening to this today to, to start doing immediately tonight?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you look at the, the probably the three main causes of why people don't sleep, um, one is, again, stress. Um, the other is uh, 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 substance use. So, you know, probably the obvious one being caffeine. And it's that's interesting because obviously, you know, it's a vicious cycle, you know, you, you have, often people are having the caffeine because they're sleep deprived and it's just feeding each other. Um, and the other one you highlighted was disturbed circadian rhythm. And I, I, I think this is, this is huge actually. And a lot more people started to realize how important it was because I saw it being amplified during COVID. So mm just for the listeners for those who don't know when we're talking about circadian rhythm we're talking about this notion that our bodily processes our cells our hormonal function our, a lot of our genetic switches are linked to the sunrise and the sunset and the fact that our modern day life has become detached from that rhythm by virtue of the fact that we live indoors and we have fake lights at, at night time through various mechanisms um, that was interestingly, I think, amplified for a lot of people in that you know, we were living cooped up in a prison cell. Uh, and then, you know, we weren't accountable for getting or a lot of people weren't accountable for waking up in the morning. So they would stay up late watching Netflix and people started presenting to me in abundance with all sorts of physical and mental presentations from uh, nuanced anxiety through to weight gain through to gut issues which they never uh, equated to such a simple simple concept and you know it really is a case of yes getting outside in the daytime more and setting your rhythm and and, and conversely reducing exposure to to light in the in the evening and I, th- I think also as well it's not just light i mean there's other cues to the fact that it's time to sleep one is a is a drop in temperature, which is is instinctive for a lot of people. I mean, you, you will naturally in this part of the world, you know, we use AC a lot and a lot of people will instinctively keep it cooler because it helps with sleep. And that, that again, makes sense because when we were living in a time where we would sleep outside, there would naturally be a drop in temperature. The other thing is a, is an empty gastrointestinal tract. So again, we would normally consume our food, Within daylight hours. So, you know, I speak to most of my clients when they come and see me for the first time. The ma- main meal invariably is their evening meal. And unfortunately, it's becoming later and later and later. And this is disturbing sleep cues. So, yeah, it's about correcting the, the light signals, uh, trying to mimic the external environment in terms of temperature, and keeping an, ex- uh, an empty gastrointestinal tract.
0: Do you have a recommendation? In terms of how long before bed people should have their last meal do you have sort of a trick there
1: yeah you know i i, I don't know whether this is scientifically uh, backed um and you know this figure has probably been recycled from you know what i've heard over the years historically god knows from where it was originally but the the figures that tend to get bang banded around are you know three to four hours between your kind of last food consumption and and, and uh, going to bed, and and I try and abide by that, you know, myself. I think also a lot of it depends on the quantity as well. So, you know, if you're just having a a soup or something very light, then quite clearly it's it's going to be less impactful than a larger meal, and that larger meal would have to be, you
0: know, earlier. So. We hear a lot about different diets and what would help us increase energy levels or lose weight or help our skin look better, live longer, et cetera. What's your opinion on the diets out there? And also I think what, what is your opinion on, on, on the diets period? Because I think there's so many different diets being thrown around now, keto, paleo, Mediterranean, um, carnivore, et cetera. Is there something that you feel we should stick to or is there because I find diet extremely personal um, but I also know that there's certain principles that we should all follow which I mean in my eyes are relatively common sense but what is your take on all that?
1: Yeah I mean I, I, I could probably give you a very long answer to this and we, we may well be here for kind of three or four hours but I... I think I'll probably try and keep it as simple as possible and then you can kind of maybe ask me some adjunct questions but I guess what I've the conclusions I've come to and 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 don't get me wrong I mean this this may evolve because it has evolved over the years is that I think first of all it's important to say that uh, a lot of the nutritional research because that's what people tend to base uh, the decisions on or, or, or what of the kind of what what the media tends to sort of bring out you know as a new diet tends to be based on recent research a lot of it's extremely poor quality so you're again you we've, i used this term earlier you're not seeing causal links so let, let's just say for example let's take you know red meat causes cancer you know uh, well, actually, you know, is it that red meat causes cancer, or is it that you know people who are in the highest uh, centiles of of meat consumption also don't exercise and they they smoke and are highly stressed? We, you know, studies will try and control for these factors, but ultimately, a lot of these studies are based on questionnaires, whether they be prospective questionnaires or you know retrospectively. So. Uh, they're just very poor quality, so you can't, you know, don't take at face value, you know, a research finding that comes out in the newspaper. I think that's an important thing uh, to say. I think also as well, a lot of the research is conducted over a very too shorter period of time, and it, and it's just over oversimplified. Um, I, I think as well, you know, when people use blanket terminology like, uh, you know, vegetarian diet or you know, carnivore diet, you know, people are kind of meaning different things a lot of the time. So, I mean, you know, sugar is vegetarian. So it's, it's kind of meaningless. Um, you know, carnivore, what does that mean? I mean, am I, we've confused being meat eaters with carnivores. So we, we, we focus, you know, the issue that we do now is we focus on eating the muscle of the animal. Well, you look at any other species, or the you know, last remaining hunter-gatherer tribes, they, they won't eat the muscle. It's the poor part of the animal. They'll eat the organ meat first. And you, know, and you are obviously seeing a drive of people who are kind of eating that, or taking that whole sort of carnivore approach. And I, I think there's pretty decent evidence, actually, that if you do eat more of a proper sort of carnivore diet, for a lot of people, it's actually an extremely healthy diet. Um, but, I, you know, I, I did try and start off by giving you a simple answer, and I probably actually started going more <laughs> deeper into it. But what I was, I guess, trying to get at is you, you, you use the term sort of personalized. Uh, I think it very much is. Um, uh, um, and, you know, you, you have to almost listen to your, to your body to a degree. Um, you know, we've seen a, a lot of people in recent times go towards keto, We've seen people go vegan. Um, you know, some people do well on it; others don't. Uh, you know, what is my my take on it? Um, you know, I think they're both at extreme ends of the spectrum, and I don't think there is a single ancestral population on this planet that, throughout their lifetime, was in continuous nutritional ketosis or even on a pure vegan diet, I think in reality, we're designed to do a little bit of both. Um, But yeah, I think it's a case of just also being sensible as well. So I mean, yeah, there are some general rules. And I think they're pretty obvious. So, you know, if the food didn't exist more than 100, I used to say 100 years ago, we probably have to start saying 150 years ago, then you probably shouldn't be eating it, or certainly not be eating it in large quantities. And I think that's as much as, as, or as far as my guidelines go. Now, there's obviously a number of nuances in the different diets. And I could go into far more detail as to what my kind of view and opinion is on it. But I guess that's kind of the, the
0: shorter version. <laughs> what sort of diet or what sort of principles have you incorporated into your own nutrition plan?
1: Well, I, I guess you can divide nutrition into different facets. So you have kind of the type of food that you're eating, which everyone's obsessed with. Um, and then you have the kind of quantity, which I suppose people refer to as the caloric sort of principle. And then you have the frequency, which, you know, people are now terming intermittent fasting. Now, again, I'm a, f- I'm a firm believer that as long as you're eating whole real food, you don't have to worry about the principle of caloric consumption because food has been designed in a way that you can't overeat. Now, I'm, I'm simplifying it because you know, we do a lot of weight loss here and you know, the weight is controlled by your hormones ultimately and a lot of people have disruptions to their hormonal signals for whatever may, reason it may be and it's not just nutrition and lack of exercise. Um, So, you know, there are certain hacks or techniques that we would use in that specific uh, individual. But ultimately, you know, if you are, you know, using, applying those principles and combining it with this whole concept of feasting and, and fasting, which again is how our ancestors lived, we ate intuitively, we didn't eat three meals a day plus snacks, we ate when we were hungry. And You know, we may have eaten seasonally where there was more food available in the summer and hence why we designed this ability to store fat because in winter, there potentially wasn't as much food available. You know, plants aren't going to grow in minus 10 degrees. So, you know, I'm not saying you need to go to the extent of, you know, eating like that, but certainly we need to try as much as possible to bring in some of those principles that have been forgotten.
0: So let's talk about fasting for a second because we're both fans of of intermittent fasting and fasting in general. For me, I've been doing it for for years and the biggest two advantages out of that were higher energy levels and clearer thinking. For me, those were the two main things and 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 probably the two main reasons that I've I've kept it going so far. Could you tell us a bit about intermittent fasting, what it is, and what other benefits might be
1: yeah i mean so i I guess when when most people are re- referring to intermittent fasting they're they're generally referring to you know what we call daily time restricted eating, so it's the concept of eating your food within a compressed eating window and and interestingly, this ties into the kind of circadian rhythm and day night rhythm ancestrally we we consumed our food during daylight hours so again you know like the fact that we didn't know what calories were you know more than kind of two or three generations ago no one referred to it as intermittent fasting it was just our natural environment people just didn't consume food for you know for let's say 14 hours uh, of the day at the same time we we invariably went through periods wherever you were on the planet whatever year it was where there wasn't food available and that could have been for long periods of time and and again it comes back to the fact that well you know if we weren't designed to go through these periods of food deprivation then we wouldn't have survived till today and actually ironically what we found physiologically and metabolically and, and 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 medically whatever you want to call it and we use the term hormesis before the body actually goes through a, a processes of rejuvenation and actually getting stronger and and you you mentioned kind of having higher energy levels well you know that's for a number of reasons but again I mean if you're becoming more we use the term metabolically flexible, so your body starts to develop the ability to run on ketones from fat and, um, you know, you're not getting as many swings in your uh, sugar levels, you know, glycemic variation and insulin fluctuations, you're just going to feel better. And near enough, everyone who we put through it uh, reports the same thing. Now, I'm not going to deny that there are some people who may have a transitional uh, phase, and that's only natural. I mean, if you've been running on glucose five times a day for forty years, um, naturally it's, there's going to be a, a, a short transition. But it, it, it tends to be pretty short-lived. I think often the barriers tend to be more mental um, and, and and stress actually uh, related. Um, but but it's extremely therapeutic. And and again, I haven't seen anything more therapeutic than than fasting. Uh, and sleep. Uh, I'll probably add in the cold. You know, we spoke about cold exposure. So you know, funnily enough,
0: the, th- the three things that give you the most bang for your buck are actually free. That's so true. I never thought about it that way. Are there downsides to intermittent fasting?
1: Well, I think at this point, it's it's worth probably just sort of mentioning, you know, having a little caveat where you know I I, I wouldn't recommend it generally for children. You know, people with eating disorders, pregnant women, or you know, breastfeeding women. Um, and and certainly, certain people with chronic diseases, would, it would have to be done. Certainly, the longer fasting under medical supervision, uh, particularly you know where there's medications which would affect uh, sugar levels. But I would near enough say that everyone should be doing certain, certainly variations of of fasting. Now, again, okay, there, there may be circumstances where. You wouldn't implement you know longer periods of fasting and the obvious one um to me is you know you know female looking to get pregnant you know at that acute stage you probably wouldn't because again with a long fast the body's going through a stressful um but, but hormetic experience but at that time the hormones can be influenced and and you know going through a period of caloric restriction isn't conducive with carrying a fetus so yeah okay there's some circumstances but i guess To put it, and again, in a short way, we should all be doing some form of intermittent fasting.
0: One more question on intermittent fasting before we close that topic off. What are the rules of it? So let's say that I fast for 16 hours and have an eight-hour feeding window. Outside of those eight hours, what am I not supposed to do? Because there's always the controversial topic of can I have coffee? Can I have a green juice? Can I have this or can I have that?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the the, the the rules are probably that there are no rules uh, to some degree because we just we just don't know what the the precise. We don't have the evidence to tell you. You know, prescriptively, this is what you should be doing. Uh, again, I'm being a little bit flippant. Uh, yeah, there are certain rules, and the principle being that. There is a certain nutrient threshold which you need to keep the body under um, to keep it in a you know a fasted state. Now, if you speak to the purists, they will say no, nothing but uh, water. Uh, you know, others will say, oh no, a little bit of you know black coffee or butter or cream in your black coffee. I think ultimately, from what I've found is you know, water plus whatever it may be, some, something that's going to give you some taste in your mouth, whether it be a herbal tea, a black coffee, even probably small amounts of, you know, cream, etc., are likely not to move the needle. And again, you know, we've seen with, I mean, there's a certain product called Prolon, uh, which for those who don't know is a kind of, is what's called the fasting mimicking plan, which is a five-day kind of vegan Plan that was created by a professor called Walter Longo, who did a lot of studies in, uh, you know, applying it to reversing metabolic disease, autoimmunity, weight loss, etc., and showed a lot of positive outcomes, which correlate correlated with a lot of the findings from you know, pure pure fasting. Um, what I do want to stress is that a lot of people talk about going on fasts or cleanses. And you know their cleanses will involve you know a lot of these uh, drinks, you know, sh- fruits, vegetables. That I could pretty much uh, confidently say is not a proper fast, because you know you again you're flipping certain nutrient switches, which are probably keeping the body in, in an what's called an anabolic state, which is what you're trying to, to avoid. You're trying to go into what's called a catabolic state, where the body is breaking down. And going through this process of, of rejuvenation. And actually, you know, that, that, that process doesn't really, or that aspect of fasting doesn't really kick in until you get to the sort of day two, well into the day two, if not day three point. So whilst the, you know, the common type of fasting is daily time-restricted eating, um, and that has a number of, again, benefits to the body, the real longevity play seems to be from what we can see in, in the longer periods of fasting.
0: So we've talked about sort of some general principles of nutrition. We've talked about intermittent fasting. And the last thing I wanted to touch on is supplementation. When you look at your clients or you just look at sort of the, the field overall, are there specific supplements or specific vitamins or minerals that we are deficient in? And I'm sure it depends on, you know, where you live in the world, but maybe let's take the UE as an example.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I could I could probably answer this in two ways. I guess one is, and I think you kind of answered this, is what are the common nutritional deficiencies? Um, and the other is, you know, is there, I suppose, are there some general Kind of one size fits all rules. I think. Listen, in an ideal world, um, again, if you could, if you had the ability to, you would tailor nutrition or supplementation to the nutritional deficiencies of the individual. Um, that being said, certainly in terms of trends that I've seen, uh, vitamin D is the uh, deficiency is the obvious one. Um, uh, magnesium deficiency is extremely uh, common. Uh, potassium deficiency as well. Um, Lower omega, uh, consumption, low omega three, so a high proportion of omega six to omega three. I mean, and that which is pro- pro-inflammatory. So that's that's a case of just you know people eating too much in the way of processed fats and not getting enough of the high-quality fats, which you would get. You know, the obvious one being kind of oily fish. These are common trends that that I'm seeing. I think overall, it's just a case, It's coming from the fact that. Uh, our our food has become nutritionally deficient but also at the same time people just aren't eating nutrient dense food but also I think thirdly uh, our bodies have a lot more demand and are under a lot more stress than they historically um, used to be so it's a bit of a double whammy we're not providing our bodies with the nutrients they need and uh, we have far more demand for it Um, and so yeah if I was going to come up with a one-size-fits-all which I don't like doing I would definitely probably address those nutrients that I, I see most commonly, for sure.
0: And what's funny is that I came to you, I think, a year and a half ago, and I did my full blood work. And I considered, I consider myself quite healthy, and, and I take a variety of different supplements. And, and when we sat down, you told me you were like, you're still deficient in magnesium, even though you're taking it. And I think what's important for listeners to understand is You need to test for it as well like you need to go and and look at the facts and look at the data and look at the quality of supplements you're taking because i remember when we met i actually brought you said bring all your supplements along let's look at what you're taking let's see what's in them and and create a plan that's then tailored to fixing these deficiencies and i think that was something that you know, you don't you don't see that a lot with doctors or the healthcare industry to begin with. But I think it's very important for listeners to understand that.
1: Yeah, and you you highlight an an, an important topic to do with the supplement industry. I mean, again, because it's not regulated, uh, a lot of people yeah just think that you know supplements are just like for like when they couldn't be more different. Um, you know, there's a big difference between companies who are. You know, third-party tested or laboratory tested versus you know your bog-standard supplement that you get on the shelf. Uh, I think the other thing that people don't consider is also the kind of delivery methods and the the formulations as well, which I think also comes into that. Um, and also the state of people's gut health uh, and, and genetically as well. Some people just have more need for for certain nutrients. I mean, the obvious ones is some people just don't absorb vitamin D very well. Others don't convert sources of fatty acids very well so you know we can go very detailed even into sort of gut health and genetic profiles for those who really want to be uh, analytical about it but these are all factors that um people just don't consider never mind you know the physicians
0: yeah are there any new supplements or or research that you know or that you know of or that you've been adapting into your life. Yeah, I mean, I
1: think you know I, I've in, in in later years gone more for a kind of longevity play. again, naturally, I think just being a, a father, so you know I, I've, I've probably gone from sort of performance, wanting to do things for aesthetics and performance to um, you know pushing the buck the other the other way. And yeah I mean there's definitely a handful of supplements that are being heavily researched at the moment. Um, that have been linked to longevity certainly in other species and I guess to highlight a couple of them I mean metformin has been researched for a while it's otherwise called glucophage and you know it's it's interestingly it was a diabetic type 2 diabetic medication and they, they found that you know people diabetics who were taking it seemed to live longer and were dying less from things like cancer and so you kind of that perked people up and it started to get applied to longevity field there's some caveats and it seems to affect muscle hypertrophy to a degree and affect peak aerobic performance which i guess is a big deal more if again you're still looking for that performance part um but it's it looks it looks promising across a number of different different species um Resveratrol is another one, which um, you know, commonly people refer to as kind of from red wine or in the the skin of grapes, seems to have multiple influences over uh, the different aspects of aging in a in a in a positive way. And probably one more recently that we've been been applying is uh, NAD, um, which which we found is you know nad to put it kind of again succinctly as possible is almost like the currency within within the cell so your, your your mitochondria are dependent on it your dna repair a lot of your genetic kind of switches your control of oxidative stress and inflammation is dependent on having you know high levels of of nad in the cell and there's been a lot of research that came out of harvard and the we've spoken about this before, Professor Sinclair seems to be at the forefront um, of of the research and he's written a book called Lifespan and there's a lot of promising research again more from uh, other species Um, but again I guess you know when you're applying a lot of these things experimentally I suppose the, the, the first thing you have to just look at is is it safe and there doesn't seem to be an indication that these Uh, supplements if you want to call them are unsafe and then I guess the question is is it effective and how effective is it well you know I'm willing to take a punt based on what we know and the fact that it's not safe sorry that it's not unsafe so I guess these these are things that I I tend to I'm not on them constantly but I like to cycle and you know, more recently, given COVID, a, a lot of interest in kind of compounds, again, that are going to help with Im- improving immunity. Resveratrol comes up again. Um, something called ECGC, which is green tea extract, is, a, is, a, is, is again shown to improve immune function and reduce viral replication. Uh, curcumin is a, is a big one as well. Um, and again, curcumin is an interesting one because, again, a, a lot of it depends on the preparation and the mode of delivery because it has very, typically very low bioavailability. And it needs
0: to be taken with black pepper. Uh,
1: yeah, well, that was kind of, again, the, 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 that was being applied. But I, I think it's more than that.
0: Um, there the, there are
1: certain other delivery mechanisms and preparations. I mean, one of them, you may see the term mariva. Uh, or other sort of liposomal type delivery forms which seem to do better than your bulk standard curcumin supplement, which really is, you're not going to be taking it in high enough quantity to have uh, much of an effect.
0: Very interesting. I, I uh, We had this conversation uh, a long time ago and then I started taking resveratrol probably a year and a half ago and got my parents on it as well. And they were, I mean, they were ecstatic after six months. They My mom yeah. My mom didn't want to get off it. She, she said her, um, her, her mind's been a bit clearer, but predominantly her energy levels, um, were much higher and, and she, she realized the difference once she got off it. So I I think that's a, that's an interesting one. Now, final segment, which is exercise. And I know you are extremely active and we've had conversations about this. Um, What is your workout routine and and why?
1: Uh, It's changed a lot over the years and it ties in, you know, with what I was saying about not being as time rich. Uh, I was looking at ways of just, again, uh, getting as much bang for the buck as possible. So I, 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 you know, again, I, I shifted to bringing the gym home. So I have a kind of, I have a frame set up with, Uh, ropes and weights and you know I'm lucky because in my community there's a running track so for me I guess it's it's about shifting the focus from just doing pure resistance training and lifting as heavy as possible and bulking up to definitely maintaining some resistance training but also focusing on other areas that I was probably neglecting so Doing short, sharp bursts of exercise—I guess people refer to it as high-intensity interval training. I think that's just—I find I just it helps keep me lean, um, also maintains kind of muscle mass very well, and you know, just a fast twitch uh, muscle. I don't do as much. I don't like long cardio. I, I just again, I just don't think it's a very efficient form of exercise. I don't have the time to do it, and I just don't like it. I don't, and, and also I just don't think I'm designed for it. Uh, so it's, it's, it's definitely shorter workouts and it's, it's focusing on resistance, but albeit lighter than historically some maybe interval or circuit type training and, and a lot more time on mobility and flexibility because we got away with it when we were younger, but I certainly don't get away with it now.
0: Are there any misconceptions about exercise that you know of maybe workouts that are promoted as healthy or good for you, but you've seen that they are not?
1: Um, I I think I will answer, I guess, that in a suppose, a different way that I've, I've seen kind of, I guess, if if we focus on, I guess, trainers and the application of, of exercise, again, like in the field of nutrition, uh, people tend to apply a one size fits all. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, someone will have a client that, comes to them. Or not not even a, you know, this isn't just trainers. I guess this is may can just be individuals themselves thinking that, okay, let's just say, say their priority or their aim is to get in shape. They start, you know, they go on the treadmill and run for 40 minutes and start lifting heavy weights, etc. That's not necessarily right for them at that moment in time. I think for a combination of reasons. One, hormonally, it may actually be more detrimental uh, to their health. Um, uh, and two, again, if you if your body's been inactive for a long period of time and then suddenly you're throwing yourself into kind of, let's just call it, term it extreme, more extreme exercise or exercise that certainly more of a sort of seasoned pro would do. Then again, you're going to get injured or it's going to cause hormonal or metabolic issues. So I, I think I'd probably leave it at that. I don't, want to go too much into the nuances of exercise because there's far greater experts out there who are more scientific in their approach to exercise. I, I just try and keep it logical again with a lot of these things because I think sometimes you can be too scientific about a lot of these things.
0: So what would you recommend to someone who comes to you, maybe has not exercised in a very long time, maybe he's suffering, um, maybe he's overweight, and says, I really want to start exercising, what is sort of a good first step for me?
1: Well, I think another thing to consider is like with a lot of these interventions is what is going to be sustainable for that individual. And part of that is what is enjoyable for them. So there's no point in, you know, we, we tend to just assume that we associate exercise traditionally with, and I made a mistake then of, you know, going to a gym or you know lifting weights, or you know going to a running track. Well, no, I mean, why can't it be you know dancing, or um, you know brisk walking, or hiking? Um, you know, it's a, it's actually, if you think about it, a far more natural way of exercising. I mean, again, our ancestors didn't go and lift weights. Okay, they were doing a lot of manual work. Um, you know, they were on you know walking on different terrains. They, they were sprinting, again, away from attack. They were crouching a lot when hunting. So, you know, it, it's just what fits with that individual, what they're going to enjoy, what's going to be sustainable, but also at the same time trying to tackle or address those different principles of muscle stimulation, flexibility, um, you know, aerobic exercise, um, you know, anaerobic exercise. Um, so something that's going to address that in, in totality is, is obviously the gold standard and, and the
0: aim. Yeah, I think what's a funny point that you just mentioned is the sort of the accountability or sustainability of implementing a workout regime. Obviously, it's got to be something that you enjoy doing. But the second thing is, are you going to do it on a consistent basis? And I was listening to a talk recently, Dr. Chungun, I forgot his last name, and he has this thing called the five minute rule. So what, what, he, what he was talking about was he had people come in and they were like, I want to exercise, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And he sent them out and, you know, they come back six weeks later uh, and they were supposed to do three times one hour uh, for each session and, and they ended up doing zero. And what he said was, what's your morning routine, for instance? And they say, wake up, have a cup of coffee, um, do X, Y, and Z. So he said, okay, how long does it take you to make your cup of coffee? They're like two minutes. He's like in those two minutes, do some squats and do some push-ups, and do that once a week. And, you know, before you know it, one, there's no excuse, right? Like you have the time now it's there. You only have to do two minutes one time a week. And they would come back a few weeks later and all of a sudden they're working out six times a week, 30 minutes a day. Um, so I think it's important to, to start small and, and build up to, um, to wherever you want to go.
1: Completely, yeah, yeah, it just all makes sense, yeah.
0: And that's that's kind of yeah. You're talking also about kind of habit, yeah, changing habits. This might be a, a tricky question, but like, how have you gone about implementing new habits into your life, and and where have you seen the challenges, um, and have overcome them?
1: Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of what 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 recent habits have I have I implemented. Uh, You know what, I don't, it's not something, I'm not at that stage where I've probably had the insight into it to think, okay, I want to start a new habit. What is the optimal way of implementing it in my life? I'm still probably way, way before that stage. So uh, it's, I haven't gone through a conscious process and, and, and. That's probably why I failed.
0: So no, but let me, okay. Let me phrase it differently then, because I think that uh, one of the things about creating a new habit is that you've got to stay, you've got to stay accountable and you've got to stay responsible and you've got to do it day in and day out. You obviously have daily habits that you don't miss. Is there a way for you to stay accountable or do you simply do those things on a daily basis? Because I mean, it makes you feel amazing
1: you know, and, and, and I think, I, I don't know whether it's, a, an age thing, but, uh, I'm, I'm not as resilient as I felt 10 years ago. So I have less flexibility or less leeway to get away with, you know, not sleeping eight hours or, um, you know, maybe eating, you know, a Big Mac, you know, seven days of the week. Yeah, I was never that extreme, but you, you get the point. Um, I think it just comes down to i i I feel better both mentally and physically um when I implement coming back to what I was saying the the sleep and the the stress mitigation and and intermittent fasting
0: yeah i think I think feeling good and and feeling happy is the most important thing when it comes to these things before I say goodbye to you. Where can people find you on Instagram or online?
1: Yeah, so I I guess if we start with Instagram, um, doctor underscore NAS, NAS uh, underscore wellness. And I'm currently working at DNA Health Center in Dubai. We have two clinics. One is in Jumeirah Al-Qasir. And um, we also have a facility now in uh, DIFC in, in, in Gate Avenue.
0: And for whoever's in Dubai, I highly recommend going. I've gone a couple of times and I've seen tremendous value out of it. Dr. Nas, I want to thank you so much for being here today. I've, I've learned a tremendous amount and I'm sure the listeners have as well. And, um, and yes, we're super, super grateful. It's always been so important to take care of our health. And today, We talked about several pillars that make up good health, so I'll go one by one and let you know what you can do today to take better care of your well-being. First up, stress. It's one of the most detrimental states for us to be in for our mental and physical health, especially if it endures. Mitigating stress is definitely not easy. It starts with identifying the stress sore. Is it a lack of sleep? Is it nutrition or exercise? Based on that, we need to implement techniques that work for us by controlling what we can. One method that works for Dr. Nuss is a good sleep quality mixed with periodic fasting. So let's move on to sleep. Sleep is the price we pay for being awake. It helps our bodies and minds recover and recharge. Try to get 7.5 to 9 hours a night and implement the following into your life to improve sleep quality. Decrease caffeine and alcohol intake. Sleep in a dark and cool room. Disconnect from technology a couple of hours before bed. Reduce exposure to fake light in the evening, and finally, have your evening meal earlier and don't go to sleep with a full stomach. Up next, nutrition. We have to listen to our body. The diets that are going around may or may not work for you, but there are some principles such as eating whole, real foods, restricting processed foods, intermittent fasting, as supplementing correctly based on nutritional deficiencies or general rules. And lastly, exercise. An exercise, similar to nutrition, is not a one-size-fits-all approach. Exercise is super important, but it's also personal. Integrating a sustainable and enjoyable routine that combines movement, resistance training, and mobility is a logical way of building and maintaining muscles and endurance effectively. So ask yourself, what does this look like for you?